0: Hey, take your Bibles, join me in Genesis. We're gonna dive back into this phenomenal, foundational book that God kicks off his word with. And we have uh, had a tremendous journey so far. We have seen amazing things. We've studied the creation account. We've seen God's greatest creation, man. And we've seen all that God afforded man, all that he designed man to do. And then we saw man's temptation and fall in the garden. We saw the ramifications of that fall. We saw God confront man's tempter and tell him, one day a redeemer is coming. Someone will come through man and will crush your head. And then we saw uh, the beautiful picture of a covering for the sin of man where God shed blood and covered them in their nakedness and shame. We saw the generations that would come from Adam. And uh, we saw uh, examples of two different sacrifices offered to God, one good, one bad. And we saw violence erupt out of jealousy over which sacrifice was accepted. And we saw that violence begin to accumulate across humanity and, and sweep around the world. We saw last week uh, the, the idea of a satanic invasion of planet Earth whereby there would become a corrupted state in humanity so as to prevent, uh, seemingly, this Redeemer that was promised from coming. And then we saw the name of a particular individual that stood out in a darkened world, in a corrupted race. There was a man who stood above the rest, whose family was considered righteous and his name was Noah. This man's name appears in the New Testament as well. In fact, three of the names that we've read about in the book of Genesis in just the early chapters, they make an appearance in a chapter of a book called Hebrews in your New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11, which is often called the Hall of Faith because it, it features chronologically several examples. Uh, people from the Old Testament whose lives were considered faithful. And we've seen three people from Genesis thus far. We've seen Abel. And of Abel, it says in Hebrews 11 that God commended him. He offered a sacrifice to God that was more acceptable. And it says that even though he died, he still speaks. And we see the name of Enoch that we've studied about. It says he was taken up that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. And we talked about Enoch, how God had revealed to him as he walked with him this coming judgment that would befall the earth. And Enoch proclaimed that judgment. And then we see this third name in the book of Hebrews that we also see in Genesis. And it's this man named Noah. And of Noah in Hebrews 11, it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark, an ark for the saving of his household. And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness That comes by faith. And every person listed in Hebrews 11 is there because of their faith. And so as we now look to Genesis 6, we're going to study this man. And we're going to study his faith because if this man is held up as an example, then we need to have a faith like this man right here. What was it about him? What set Noah apart? That's what we're going to talk about today. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, I ask your blessing upon our reading of your word, upon our time in it, God. Would you, by your spirit, reveal what we need to know so that we can be considered faithful, God. We want to be people that that you would write about, God. A thousand years from now, as an old Christian song said, that you would hold us up as examples for other generations to look to. May we learn. May we apply what we see today in the life of Noah. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's take a look here. Did you know that Noah takes up five chapters in the first 11 chapters of Genesis? And this is a guy that is held in high regard across your Bible. Why? In the book of Ezekiel, when God is about to judge the people of Judah, he tells his prophet Ezekiel, I would not stay my hand of judgment, Ezekiel, even if, and he says, "If Noah, Job or Daniel stood before me." And so in including him with Daniel and with Job, Noah obviously is in elite company. Uh, I mentioned the book of Hebrews to you, and we see him elsewhere in the New Testament. In Second Peter, he is mentioned. In First Peter, he is mentioned. As an example of faith, how faithful is this man Noah? He's so faithful that God tells him to do something. Build an ark, Noah. I want you to build a boat. Oh, by the way, this boat's going to be 150 yards long. It's going to be 50 yards wide. It's going to be three stories high. It's going to be 1,500,000 cubic feet in total. A boat. And you're going to build it in a landlocked country prior to rain that's a faithful man. That's a faithful man. And his life, as he undertakes this instruction, it's a picture. It presents a picture to us. What kind of picture? In your notes, we are presented with a picture of faith. And this is what faith is. Faith is your present life governed by a future fact. Your present life governed by a future fact. That is the definition of faith. I hope that your life is governed by a future fact. Noah's life certainly was. And so as we look at this extraordinary life, we need to understand what it was about his faith that made him special. So how can we have faith like Noah? Well, we know this about Noah. We know that he knew, first of all, in your notes, that he was chosen. Noah was chosen. His father's name was Lamech. Lamech named his son Noah. We've talked about what that name means. It means rest. He named his son rest uh, because in Genesis 5, it tells us when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, called his name Noah, saying out of the ground that the Lord is cursed. This one, this one will bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. This is 1600 years after Adam, Noah is born. Uh, there is a need for a redeemer. We know that in the garden after the fall, God told that serpent, because you've done this, I will put enmity between your offspring and the offspring of the woman, and he will bruise your head, and you will strike his heel. And so there is this prophecy that a redeemer is coming through mankind. There's another prophecy because God told Noah's uh, great-grandfather, a man named Enoch, he told him judgment is coming. Enoch. God walked with Enoch. He revealed uh, that he would uh, judge the earth. And Enoch believed God so much so that he names his son Methuselah. And we've talked about what that name means. It means when he dies, it is sent. Judgment's coming upon the death of this boy, Methuselah. Methuselah has a son named Lamech. Lamech believes that prophecy as well. He believes Uh, That his grandfather Enoch was told true by God, judgment's coming. That his father's name indeed was a prophecy of that coming judgment. But not only does he believe that judgment is coming, he also believes what God told the serpent in the Garden of Eden, that there will come one who will bring rest. There will come one who will set things right. And Lamech believes that so much that he names his son Rest implying that he thinks that this kid right here will be that redeemer spoken of by God himself. Now, is Noah our redeemer? No, Jesus is our redeemer. So Lamech didn't have all the details right, but he's a man of faith. He believes God, takes him at his word, and he teaches his son that. And so what we know about Noah is that from the womb, he knows he's a special child. There's something unique about him. You can just imagine Noah's dad setting him down as a boy and saying, Son, our family is special. We have faith in God. We follow God. We're not like the world. You're a special child. You're a special young man. You don't engage in the ways of the world. God has set you apart for a purpose. Let me tell you something. There's nothing better for a young person to hear than that that they are special. Now, I'm not talking about inflating their ego. I'm not talking about filling their head uh, with things about, about how good they are in and of themselves. But they need to know something. They need to know that God loves them, that God has called them, all right? In your notes, we need to remember that we are loved. you got to remember that you are loved. Do you know that? Sometimes people struggle with that. We need to hear that every day. Some of you are like, I need to hear that every five minutes. When the world gets more and more wicked, we need to know that God loves us. Christian, are you special? Are you chosen? You better believe it. If you're in Christ, you are chosen. God loves you. How long has he known you? He's known you from eternity. He's known you from eternity. Psalm one thirty-nine sixteen. 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me... <laughs> when as yet there were none of them. Just like Noah, you are loved. God loves you as much as he loved Noah. God chose you, just like he chose Noah. You've been known to him since before you were conceived. So we see that about this man. What else do we see about Noah? Verse 9, it says, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And what this means in your notes is, number two, he was approved. He was approved in God's sight. Uh, he found Favor, the Hebrew word for favor is chane. Chane, it means, it means grace. An Old Testament word that means grace. So we think of grace as a New Testament concept, and yet here it is. And literally this word means to stoop down and pull out. To stoop down and pull out. And he finds favor. He found it. It says he found it. He didn't earn it. He found it. There's nothing he did to earn this favor. And that's what grace is. It is unmerited favor. The very definition. You don't have to do anything uh, to obtain the grace of God. It is there. It is a gift. It is to be received by faith. Noah is approved not on his own merit. God bent down and took him. Took him for his own purpose. And this marked Noah's life. Here's a guy. He's going to be the link between the old world and the new world. He will represent the hope for humanity. Without this man's life, there is no humanity on the other side of that flood. And that man understands that he has been approved by God through no doing of his own. God bent down and took him. When I was a child... I was born in Oklahoma. We lived in a small town called McAllister. My daddy was a pastor of a little Baptist church there. And I remember one particular Sunday, all of the kids in that church were so excited. We exploded out the front door of that church at the end of service because we could see out the window during, during the sermon, we were not paying attention. We looked out the window. We saw it was snowing. Oh, man, it didn't snow all that often in McAllister, Oklahoma. And so we ran outside, and we're running around, and we're playing in the snow, and people are making snow angels, and they're trying to make snowmen, which didn't work very well because it's Oklahoma snow, and you can't make a snowman with Oklahoma snow. And so we're running around excited because of this white stuff, and I step on a snowy patch, and what I didn't know is beneath that snowy patch was a manhole, and the cover had been left off. And I went right through, man. And I caught myself with my elbows on the edges of that hole. And I was neck deep in sewer water. And my feet are not touching anything down there. And so I'm I'm scrambling and scraping the wet grass, trying to climb up. And nobody's paying attention because they're all having fun in the snow. But an old deacon saw me disappear into the ground. And he walked over there without a word. And he reached down, grabbed the back of my coat, pulled me up and marched me like a wet cat into the church to my mama and they all the ladies of the church they found a blanket and they wrapped me up and they're drying me off and you know they're starting to help me to laugh about it and everything and we're sitting there and I'm kind of shivering and this old deacon knelt down and he had this gruff look guy looked like a saddlebag with eyes you know and he stuck a gnarled finger in my face he goes boy you just make sure you're worth saving (laughs) and that's what God did with Noah he just reached down and pulled him up was he worth saving folks none of us are not a one not a one of us are worth saving but because of the grace of God We can have the right attitude. We can have a heart of gratitude, and that will help us make an impact, just like Noah. And so in your notes, you've got to remember, you were saved for a purpose, for a purpose. Did you know that? He didn't just save you for no reason. There's a purpose. Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. But look at this. It's not by works, but watch. He goes on, verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Have you found favor in the eyes of the Lord? If you you know Jesus, you have found favor, and it's not for no reason. He's got something for you to do. It's for a purpose and then number three in your notes, we see that Noah embraced righteousness over the world. He embraced righteousness over the world. Look at what verse 9 in Genesis 6 says about Noah. It says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, all right? The word generation here is also translated day. Some of your Bibles say day, uh, era, perhaps what was that day like? What was that era like? We, uh, we talked about that last week. Some of you got really weirded out last week because of some of the things we unpacked in Genesis 6. We talked about how, how there was a, a satanic strategy for the corruption of mankind to prevent the Redeemer from coming. And we talked about... A spiritual invasion by which fallen angels uh, were united with humanity that produced uh, produced what we call what we saw is referred to as the Nephilim in Genesis six, and this was a a global, it was a genetic, it was a worldwide uh, moral, uh, intellectual, emotional corruption, spiritual uh, deformation of mankind to prevent. The promise of God in Genesis 3 from coming true. What was that day like? It's described by Jesus himself in Matthew 24. In verse 37, He says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. There's, the things were bad. They haven't been that bad since. They will be. They will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And the next verse, he says, For as in those days, and here's what it was like, before the flood, they were what? They were eating and drinking? Meaning what? Meaning they were obsessed with pleasure. They were consumed with their own fulfillment of desire. He says they were marrying and giving in marriage. And folks, that's not marriage like you and I know it. That's not marriage as God designed. This implies that God's institution had been corrupted. There was widespread fornication. There was sexual desire that was elevated in this concept of, of union. Until, he says, the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware Meaning what? There was an obliviousness to the things of God. There There was total incredulity until, he says, the flood came and swept them all away. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So what was Noah's day like? It was marked by obsession with pleasure, by the corruption of marriage and the glorification of sensuality, by total ignorance or a lack of interest in the things of God. And as we read last week, the earth was filled with violence. And every thought of mankind was only evil all the time. Can you imagine? Every single thought. Um, Do some of those characteristics remind you of our world today? A little bit, huh? And yet it's still not as bad as it was. Imagine that. Imagine that. And yet man is capable of so much evil. But every intention of the heart of man was only wickedness. And here we are in the church, and many of you, you run in Christian circles. I mean, you're in church, so I know you got Christian friends. And yet, evil can find you even in a community like this. Uh, you know, your kids might go to a Christian school. Maybe they go to our school, Grace Christian Academy. Can they find riffraff there? Can they find wickedness there? They can find it anywhere. I read this text, I studied this text with a, uh, another Christian school where my kids attended back in California, and I told them. Speaking of wickedness back in California. And I told them, <laughs> love you, California. I told them, you know, you go to a Christian school. you got Christian friends. But in a year or two, you're going to go off to college. And you might go to a secular school. But you know what? Even if you don't, even if you go to a Christian school, you can find the wrong crowd or they'll find you. And you're going to you're gonna have to take a stand. You're going to have to decide who your master is. And, you know, when the rubber meets the road, it's real easy to be a Christian when you're surrounded by Christians. But when the rubber meets the road and you find all those familiar supports are no longer there, you've got to make some hard decisions. You've got to draw a line. And I'm here to tell you that a Christian uh, can face mounting pressure to do the opposite of what God has called us to do that's what noah faced but as tough as it might get for you it was nothing compared to what noah faced you talk about standing alone sometimes we talk about the importance of standing alone literally that was the case with noah i mean in the whole world eight people eight people that are considered righteous this was faithfulness could noah have become like the world in his day absolutely Absolutely. He could have engaged in the never-ending pursuit of pleasure. You know, what we talked about last week, I hope you didn't get the impression that that man was not culpable in that. That it was just imposed on man, this worldwide corruption. There's a willfulness involved there. There was absolutely a, a, a collaboration of humanity with spiritual wickedness in that corruption. And Noah could have easily been a part of that. He could have descended into the culture of sexual depravity. He could have shunned the wisdom of God. He could have uh, sought violence. He could have sought through violent means and obtained whatever he wanted. But he didn't because he knew who he was. He had cemented his identity in things of faith. I've shared this story before. Years ago when much of Africa was under the British crown, it was considered a, a British crown colony, there was an officer the story goes, that was tasked with uh, manning a post all by himself in a very remote, very primitive part of Africa. He was all alone, and a friend of his came out to visit him because he knew that he was all on his own out there. And he came out to this place, and there was a big tent, and his friend walked into that tent, and he saw a dining table set up. And there was a complete formal setting, complete with china and silverware, And place settings and all of this. And he looked over, and there was his friend, this officer. And he was dressed to the nines in formal attire. And his visitor thought he'd lost his mind. And then the officer explained. He said, I do this once a week because I'm out here on my own, and I do this to remind myself that I belong to another kingdom. And, folks, in your notes, you got to remember you belong to another kingdom. We are in this world. We are not of this world. We are not of this world. How do we remind ourselves that we belong to another kingdom? We return to the foundation of our faith. What is the foundation of our faith? It's the word of God. It's the word of God. You know, I hope if you attend this church and somebody asks you why you attend this church, listen, there's a lot of great things about this church. We have one of the most talented worship teams that I have ever heard. They are marvelous. I hope that is not the reason you attend this church. We have a beautiful building. I'm very grateful for it. I pray God uses it. This is not the reason I want you to attend this church. We have wonderful programs. I hope that's not the reason you attend this church. On occasion, I might deliver a message with with humor and wit and and, and execute it uh, uh, professionally. I hope that's not the reason you attend this church. I hope that the reason you attend this church is because the word of God is spoken here. That's the desire of my heart. And we must value that because it is the word of God in which we understand our identity. we got to stay rooted here. How can a young man keep his way pure, says Psalm 119. He says, by guarding it according to your word. It is the word of God. It's the great revealer of what is truth and what is folly. And the young people that I've met in my ministry that are confused about right and wrong are young people that read the word of God exactly zero. They don't know what to think because they are not rooted in God's word. And if you're not in the Bible, you become desensitized to the wickedness of the world around you. This book reveals worldly actions for what they are. You recognize what is counterfeit because you know what the real article looks like. Okay. And when you get out of the word of God, you stop seeing God, you start seeing man, you stop listening to God, you start listening to man, and it starts to make sense to you. And you, you become desensitized. You ever go on a camping trip or fishing trip for a number of days and you don't shower? And whoever's with you, they're not showering either and so you, nobody notices that you stink because you're just all stinking together. And then you come home and your spouse is like, whoa! And you're like, oh, wow, oh, yeah, yeah, because now you're around people with hygiene. And you're aware of your situation listen the Word of God allows you to get downwind of yourself it, it gives you a proper perspective but it's not just reading it it's applying it you see because what, is, what does the scripture say he who is a hearer of the word and not a doer what are they like they're like the man who looks at himself in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what kind of man he is and so you stay in the Word every day you want to know truth you stay in the Word I've heard this story about scuba diving. I've never been scuba diving, but I've heard that every year people die because they go out in a boat, and they're all geared up, and they jump in the water, and they're down there, and they're just enraptured by all of the wonder beneath the surface, and they're being very meticulous about how much oxygen they have. They're keeping their eye on that, but one thing that they've not done is they haven't made sure their boat is moored. They haven't made sure their boat is anchored, and they don't understand the pressure and drift of the ocean. And so when they got a few minutes of air left in the tank, they go up to the surface to see that the boat is now a dot on the horizon. And so they begin to panic, and they swim after that boat, and they drop their tanks, and they eventually run out of gas, and they they die, and they drown. They sink like a rock because they don't understand drift. That's the way the world is. When you're not rooted, you can drift drift from that which brings you life. How do you stay anchored? You spend time in the word of God. This book is amazing. It speaks to every issue of life. In it, you will see God. You will see yourself. And you will see yourself accurately. And it speaks to you. And God spoke to Noah. And you say, I don't have the time to spend, you know, time in the Bible every day. I, you don't understand, Pastor Scott, I don't, I don't have that kind of time. I've got, you know, I've got, I've got a, a, a full plate, man, and, and I, can't, I can't read the Bible anyway. My eyesight, my eyesight's bad, and, you know, my house is chaotic. I mean, I can't even find a Bible half of the time in my house, and, you know, we've been so preoccupied lately. I mean, we've had birthdays and anniversaries and, and, you, know, and you know, National Taco Day, and all these things that, that we make as excuses for not reading the Word of God. I read about a guy who was involved in an explosion, and it, it destroyed, his eyes, destroyed his eyesight, couldn't see anymore. It, it took both of his hands. But the thing that really, really disappointed him about his new lot in life is that right before that explosion, he had become a Christian. And because he could no longer see, he now was lamenting the fact that he could not read the Bible. But then he heard about a woman in England who had learned to read the Bible in Braille using her lips. And so he acquired a Bible in Braille, and he attempted to read the Bible with his lips. But he discovered that the nerve endings were so badly damaged, he couldn't use his lips to read the Bible. But then he had an idea, and he stuck out his tongue, and he realized, I can read the raised characters using my tongue. And at the time I read about this guy, he had read through the entire Bible four times using his tongue. What's your excuse? I mean, come on. Are you walking with God? You have a passion for this book. That ought to be our prayer. We see that about Noah. Then what? Number four in your notes Noah proclaimed truth. He proclaimed truth. Outside of Genesis, I've I've told you, in the New Testament, Noah makes an appearance. We get a little commentary on his life. And it's in 2 Peter 2, verse 5. It says uh, that if God did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the unguidedly. Noah was preserved as a herald of righteousness. What is a herald? A herald is someone who declares, who proclaims something there's a mandate for them to broadcast a message some of your versions might say in second peter he's a preacher of righteousness i knew i was in north carolina when people didn't address me as pastor and they just called me preacher hey preacher i kind of like that you know that's that's what people called my dad in oklahoma when i was a kid preacher but you know what you know who else is a preacher you you're a preacher did you know that every believer is a preacher you are a preacher of righteousness you are a herald just like noah was and this guy preached righteousness noah was not content just to be in the holy huddle he didn't have a lambs chapel to attend on the weekends there was only eight righteous people on planet earth and so he was a herald and he broadcast the righteousness of god why because there was no other way by which anyone would be saved you got that There was one way of salvation in Noah's day. Does that sound familiar? Is there one way of salvation today? That's God's MO. There is always only one way. There are not a multitude of ways. And so what was the message Noah carried? Judgment's coming. Flood is coming. There's no mountain high enough. There's no cave remote enough for you to escape it. There's one means of escape. And he builds a ship in a landlocked country in a day when man had glorified himself and is mocking him mercilessly mercilessly at every turn. Here he is building this boat. It's 150 yards long. It's 50 yards wide. It's a million and a half cubic feet. And he sits inland in this thing. And they laugh at him. And they deride him. And let's look at Hebrews 11 one more time. In verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, as yet unseen, nobody had ever heard of what was coming. In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world. He condemned the world. It says he condemned the world. How did he condemn the world? Because his faithfulness was a living sermon. It was a living sermon. And in your notes, you've got to remember, you are a living sermon. You are a living sermon. By your life, you preach the righteousness of of Christ, and it condemns the world. They're either going to respond to it positively and receive salvation, or they're going to reject it. Jesus said, if they reject you, just remember they rejected me first. And some people are not going to come to church. They're not going to darken that door no matter what. They're going to make up any excuse as to why, you know, the seats aren't comfortable enough down there. I don't like that short guy that's talking up there. You know, a building's too big. I don't like the music. It's too loud. It's too soft. There's any number of reasons they're not going to come here. But you know what? They know you. They live beside you. They work with you. You have the end. You have the influence in their life, and your life may be the only sermon that they come into contact with. How are they going to respond to you? Well, that's up to them. They respond in acceptance of what is spoken through you about Christ, or they reject as they did in Noah's day. How many converts did Noah have? Zero. Zero. But his life condemned the world because they rejected the message of his life and his testimony took away their excuse now they didn't have an excuse to begin with Romans 1 tells us that 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 the glory of God is revealed the the wrath of God is revealed in the created order that what may be known of God is clearly seen by all that all men are without excuse but there is a specific revelation. It's not merely the existence of God that Noah proclaimed. It was the the specific revelation of a coming judgment and, and the means by which they could escape that judgment. And because of what he did, no one could claim that they didn't know the truth. They unequivocally saw it in his life. His actions served to convict them. Who is it that convicts the world? John says it's the Holy Spirit. When He comes, He will come to convict the world, the unbelieving, of what? Of sin and of judgment. Who convicts the world? The Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit reside? In you. In every believer, the Holy Spirit dwells. And it's going to be in large part through you, that conviction Of the world is brought about just by breathing Christian just by obeying you convict the world did you know that how many of you how many of you noticed that when you became a believer you became a whole lot more annoying to your friends that are lost they didn't like you as much you're not as much fun they're a little more annoyed at you and you didn't try to annoy them now maybe you did and shame on you but You don't have to try because the world is offended by Christ. The world is offended by someone who consecrates their life to Jesus Christ. You're a sermon that that convicts, that strikes to their very heart. When we live according to the Holy Spirit, it's a living sermon. We preach by our lives. We should use words as well. And we can't dismiss this. You're going to offend people. You you, you try not to, but you're going to. You're going to. And we need to remember that. These days the church in general is so caught up in trying to, you know, relate to people where they are, you know, in their sin, you know, find some commonality. Now listen, this isn't bad in and of itself, but we put all of our eggs in that basket. And we even, like, uh, uh, criticize a plain spoken message of truth. We say, well, you know, you got to finesse that. You got to find that common. You got to find that lived experience. You know, you got to find their felt needs, and you, you got to resonate with them. You know, Christ relates to all people. That's true, isn't it? There's an ad campaign I've noticed. I watch football games. I've seen a lot of these during these football games. Ad campaign called "He Gets Us." Maybe you've seen it. They're very well done black and white, very stylish, very creative, and they all kind of start with some walk of life, some situation, some social concern, and they tie it in to Jesus. They they force it. If it doesn't naturally fit, they make it fit. And it's very artistic. And the whole message, what is emphasized, is that he's just like us. He's relevant to our culture, you know? Uh, for all of you who think Christianity is toxic and divisive, you know, the, the, the message is that no, no, Christ is merely this inspiring figure that relates to our everyday problems like poverty and prejudice and social standing and self esteem and all of these things. Look, here's the deal Christ didn't come to relate to our everyday problems, Christ came to be the solution for our one very big problem. What is our problem? We are in a state of sin. We are in a state of sin. We don't need to feel better about ourselves because Jesus relates to us. We need to be aware of the fact that we can't relate to him unless he saves us. He gets us. Do we get him? He's holy. We're fallen. We're the ones who need to die to self and receive what he died to give us. And we carry that message. And we carry that message in love. We carry it in love, but we don't get to change it. We don't get to change it. And Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's what Noah was doing. He was living out his faith. He was operating his present life on the basis of a future fact. And that is what we do. Noah was operating on the basis of a promise that God made 120 years prior. You and I, we are operating our present life on the basis of the fulfillment of a promise one day that God made 2,000 years ago in Jesus Christ. And the promise is, he's coming back. He's coming back. And nothing's gonna stop him. And that is the limited time that we've got. Noah knew how long he had. We don't. Lord could come back today. He could come back before the end of this message, and that would be great for us. It would not be great for the lost world unless they respond to Jesus Christ. And Noah carried this message, and they laughed. They laughed. Look at this idiot. Look at this fool. What is he doing? building that monstrosity. How many decades has it been he's been hammering away at that thing? And how much money has it taken to build that? He could be buying tracts of land. He could be planting crops. He could be becoming wealthy, living large, engaging in pleasure like the rest of us. What is he doing? Building that thing, and for what? The world does the same thing today. It mocks you and I. We live out our faith in Jesus Christ. They look at us, they think, what fool's? what fools they go down to that church every weekend they go down there and they listen to that idiot on that platform and they give money to that church their hard-earned money they could buy whatever they want that's their money and they're wasting time on that stupid irrelevant book with its antiquated morality it's so out of touch it's out of date Look at this weird system these guys are engaged in. They're so uptight. They're so unenlightened. Look at all they're missing. They're missing out. They're wasting their time. And I picture those mockers in Noah's day. And they watch him as he hammers that last nail. And he gathers up his family. And they enter that vessel and that door shuts and the people sneer and they deride and they laugh and they cackle and they throw their head back with their eyes closed and they're just having a good belly laugh about Noah and when their faces toward the sky suddenly a raindrop splatters against their cheek what was that? and then another, and another. What, what is this? And it all starts to come, and the raindrops get bigger and heavier, and they come down faster, and now they're pelting the ground, and suddenly the windows of heaven open up, and it's a torrential downpour. And then there's a rumbling beneath their feet, And the earth starts to give way and suddenly fountains erupt from beneath them and and water begins to cover the entire earth and the deluge sweeps in and they're caught up in it and it begins to roil and to churn and they make their way the best they can to that boat to that thing that they mocked and they claw against the side of that and maybe they make their way all the way to the top in their desperation and they get to that door and they pound on that door and they say, Noah, Noah, let us in. It was too late. Noah couldn't let him in if he wanted because Noah didn't shut the door. God shut the door. You see, when God shuts the door, ain't nobody gonna pry it open. Because in your notes, the flood of God's wrath is coming to this world. You see, you live out the message of Christ, and people will receive it or they don't. But if they die in their rejection, they're gonna head into a Christless eternity, and the door will be shut. There's no purgatory. There's no second chance. Or perhaps the Lord will come back before they die and he'll receive his church and he'll take us out. He'll reach down and pull us out like he did Noah. He'll reach down and pull us out like he did Peter on the Sea of Galilee. He'll reach down and pull us out like he did Enoch. He'll reach down and pull us out like he did Lot from Sodom. And who will be left? They will face the wrath of God on the earth. John 12, 48, the one who rejects me does not receive my words as a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. The first time God judged the earth, it was by water. The next time it'll be by fire. Second Peter 3:10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth, and the works that are done on it will be exposed. How is he going to come? Like a thief. How's a thief come? Call you up? Hey, I'm going to be in the neighborhood this weekend? No. They come unannounced. They come as a surprise. There's no prophecy that needs to be fulfilled before this happens. It's going to be sudden. There's one ordained means to escape it. One ordained means. In Noah's day, what was it? Genesis 7.23 tells us only Noah was left and those who were with him. Where? In the ark. In the ark. What is our equivalent means of escape? This is my favorite verse in the whole Bible, Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because in your notes, our ark, our ark is faith in Jesus Christ. But until then, until he comes to pull us out, our job is to be like Noah, a herald of righteousness. Because we don't want the world to perish. We want It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But how will they know? If we don't go and tell them there's one way. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask your blessing upon our time today. Thank you, Lord, for everybody that's here in attendance. May you guide their steps, guide their words this week. Be aware of their responsibility in a fallen world to be like Noah, to be a herald. To speak the truth, certainly in love, but unapologetically because the world is dying. And we pray your blessing upon our efforts in Christ's name. Amen.